Hi, my name is Mattia Murray, and welcome to The Longer Road. You are on The Longer Road if you have multiple intersectional identities that are often marginalized. You've had to work harder to get to the starting line, and you might feel behind. I'm here to provide hope, support, and practical tips, and to let you know that you're not alone. Welcome to my guest, Angela Hahn. She is an amazing coach and lawyer, and I know her through a community that we're in online together, Simone Souls Joyful Marketing, which I've mentioned before, I'm sure, and that's how we met. And I will also have Angela introduce herself and say anything else she wants to add. Yes, uh, that's great. I My name is Angela Hahn. I met Mattia also on Joyful Marketing, and also we have seen each other in all these like other random programs. And I was like, oh yeah, they are my soul friend. Yay. Yeah. And this is funny too, because we've like, we've connected now in several places. We'll be in some online, you know, some Facebook group and be like, oh my God, you're here. So yeah, I, I definitely, I know we could go in a lot of directions. Certainly one story or, oh, I always start with this. Um, what are you passionate about right now? I'm passionate about telling the truth. Nice. Can you say more about that? Yeah, I think that for a long time, I was kind of consuming the conventional kind of narrative or subscribing to the conventional narrative that I need to um, be something else in order to grow my business or in order to advance my career or in order to, I don't know, have a nice family or whatever. <laughs> and I think that that was not working out for me. And I realized that Whatever it is that I'm doing, whether it is building my business or not, um, the thing that I want to remain committed to and devoted to for the rest of my life is telling the truth that feels the truest for me. Because anything can be true right now, right? Like I could be taking a shit. Like, you know, I love talking about shits. <laughs> <laughs> and or I could be, I don't know, feeding the cats or whatever. Um, but what is the truth that, that is aching to get out of me? And that is the devotion that I have. Oh, I love that so much. And I, I mean, I have loved watching also just over the last year, the evolution of what you've been posting. I also love the word devotion. I feel like there's a whole place we could go there. I'm also wondering if you want to talk about it at all, your recent decision to leave your day job as a lawyer, because I know that was a big thing for you. And also, I feel like there's so much of that truth telling embedded in that for you. So anything you'd like to share about that? And if not, we can just skip this part. No, thank you for asking that question. And thank you for offering to witness um, that part of my life. And yeah, I think that there there came a point where I was noticing a very acute incongruence um, in my life where I was telling people, okay, like you got to be yourself and accept all the parts of who you are. And I think that I was doing that. I was living that life where, you know what, even though this job is not the best fit for me, I am still going to appreciate myself through it and appreciate it uh, for what it is to me. Um, and I think at some point I realized that it was no longer the part of me that I wanted to allow into my life. And um, that kind of came along with like having my second and realizing that, oh, I was kind of also subscribed to this idea that like we have unlimited energy and that it, for some reason, like if we don't preserve our energy, then like something is wrong with us. 
And I was like trying to prove to everybody that I have unlimited energy and resources and that I'm very resourceful. And when I saw that my, my spirit was, was kind of like feeling a little distant and I saw my body kind of laboring towards something that was not me, like trying to prove myself, meaning like I was trying to be something that I was not. Um, and like kind of like wanting approval, I was like, okay, something needs to recalibrate. And part of that recalibration, I think the biggest part really was quitting that job because if you really look at what is expected, especially from lawyers, like you have to have certainty, you have to have stability, you have to have consistency um, and all that. And it felt, I mean, I was, my nervous system was definitely frozen for a long time, like, like 10 days before I actually gave notice. Um, but it was a journey well worth it because I knew like, I shared this in another call the other day, like when I am living my truth, I feel it in my uterus, like like (laughs) my uterus, like really like heats up. Um, and I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. Truth is being lived. And my nervous system is just kind of getting me closer to it. Okay. Yeah. I love that. I love when people have a really clear body signal that works for them. Mm. I don't have a uterus literally, but I also feel like I have a sort of a low, uh, I don't know, gut feeling or like belly. I I, I say belly, but it's really like lower than that. So uterus is probably Mm. around there. I don't remember exactly where that was, but anyway, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, when, when people have this body knowledge that they can rely on, I think it can be a a really useful balance to all those messages we're getting from the world that you were getting, but that we all get that are like, you should be doing this thing over here. This is where you should be putting your energy. And, oh, you know, I mean, what you're saying too about having like endless energy, because also a lot of my listeners and myself are chronically ill. And that's a huge thing that you go through realizing, okay, you know, you, or in your example, you're, you know, being both being a lawyer and having two kids, those are both things that easily could take up two full-time jobs. (laughs) So (laughs) you have like, I don't know, the potential of four full-time jobs stacked on top of each other, plus any other, you know, commitments or yeah. So, and that, that idea that we should be able to do all of that and be happy, like, and keep a smile on and, you know, be I don't know. I just have that, that image of like the smiling woman at the end of the day thing. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's like, yeah, let's not do that anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And other than that sort of, you know, body process of deciding that this is what you needed to do. Were you also having conversations with the people in your life around like close to you who this who would be affected by this as well yeah 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 I think um you know something (laughs) so I passed the bar five years ago and I think I wanted to quit my job as soon as I passed the bar (laughs) like whatever the job was I think my spirit my soul knew and I think the, the soul knew because like I was rejected from like pretty much everybody that I applied to in law school. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm being like rejected left and right. And I'm not finding any purpose in it. 
like for my business, for example, when I'm telling my truth, like I'm rejected on a daily basis, but that doesn't affect my devotion. That doesn't affect my commitment to my truth. And, 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 and with the law, I was like, oh, that like, I, I am like, there's nothing left for me underneath all of the reje- rejections. And I still like, I tell everybody, like, I'm like the picture perfect version of doing everything for the wrong reasons. Like I went to law school because I was angry that I couldn't control my parents' marriage. I, um, uh, started my business because I was angry that I wasn't getting paid enough in my legal jobs. And I started my podcast because I was angry that I didn't have enough uh, clients. And so I was like doing everything for the wrong reasons. And that those are like those experiences, making all these decisions for the wrong reasons helped me arrive at a place where I was able to drop into certainty so quickly because I have been in uncertainty for so long. And so I think that that was kind of part of the process of like, even though deep, deep, deep down, I knew that the law wasn't for me, I was still willing to remain subscribed to what was expected of me and see what was out there instead of like just saying like, okay, I don't even want to think about it. I'm just going to say no to everything because at the time I still didn't know how to talk to my body or connect with my body. So I really didn't really have a, like a compass for me to really refer to. I think like that, that truth was like sort of percolating. That compass was percolating. It was being formed through that process of me doing all the things uh, out of anger or whatever other and undesirable feeling that was. And so when it came time to talk about this with my family, because the whole time, part of the story that I was telling myself is I don't want to disappoint my family. And so when I finally arrived at like my decision, I knew that I had done everything that I possibly could um, to arrive at this decision. And, and I, it wasn't that like I did my best, quote unquote. It was that all of the things that happened really supported that certainty that I have that I had in my decision or the certainty that I had in myself despite the uncertainty of the decision so when I presented that to my family as my decision I was okay with whatever reaction that they had to me um because I was because I I was so sure of it so that is why I think they kind of like caught up to that assuredness that assurance that they felt from me like it was like an aura that I had and so they're like oh yeah okay yeah we support you and so it was like almost like really easy (laughs) okay so much in there as well one thing I'm really curious about because you talked about that compass or sense of certainty developing as those things were happening was that something that you were aware of or doing like was there any intentionality in developing that compass or that sense of certainty or is it more in retrospect that you look back and see okay those things help me develop it yeah I don't think I even knew what intentionality was or meant (laughs) until until, like I became a life coach or uh, started building my business or got curious about doing entrepreneurial stuff Um, I just kind of like did the next thing that felt right because I just, I just wasn't 
I just wasn't really exposed to any other option, but to just kind of go to the next thing and to the next thing, uh, the path that was, that was well traveled. And so it was very easy to just one foot, uh, 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 what is it? One foot after the other, just keep going in that direction without really understanding the destination. And I would like to touch on that from the perspective of privilege, which I know is something you've written about, because I feel like uh, people, again, who this podcast is speaking to, a lot of people listening feel like they're putting just putting one foot in front of the other because they don't have options. But even people like you who did potentially have options, you weren't seeing it, you weren't feeling that. And I think that that is just that's really interesting to me. I feel like a lot of us are emotionally having a very similar experience, regardless of the privileges that potentially would have given you, you know, an out or another option. So if that's something you are comfortable speaking to, I'd be really curious. So you mean like the privilege that I had in being able to explore? Yeah, that like in theory, you could have maybe done other stuff, but you weren't really seeing that or feeling that you were just like, no, I'm just putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's very important to to recognize, like, I think I like even the most recently, I truly, truly understood what privilege is and has like the 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 the, the role it has played in my life. Um, I think one of the biggest kind of um, I don't want to say mistake because you know, David Bedger was talking about how mistake is not, there's no mistake, there's like relationships. But I think the thing that I probably would have done differently is uh, simply acknowledge my privilege. I was trying to hide that so for so long, like hide the fact that that my family was always willing to support me financially. The fact that I didn't have any student loans and that the fact that um, that I was able to go to a law school that that I liked, um, and the fact that I didn't have to worry about about that, and the fact that I was able to even like give birth to two two children without having gone through uh, any other complications, and the fact that I have childcare right now, like that's a privilege, right? And I think for a long time I was so again, subscribe to the narrative, like pulling yourself by the bootstraps that you have to put in like a hundred percent effort and everything has to be painful and everything has to be suffering that I wasn't fully appreciating. Um, and when I wasn't appreciating the privileges, I wasn't receiving. And so now I'm actively like receiving anything. Like my mom the other day was like offering, Hey, do you, do you like need something? And you like for the longest time, I would just be like, no, like, I don't need it. Like, I'm resourceful. I can do whatever I want to do. <laughs> but then I was like, you know, I want to be really good at receiving. And so I'm going to ask her. I'm going to ask her to get me this or I'm going to ask her to send me this or whatever because I want to appreciate and receiving is part of that. And so I, I, I think like to, to just to address the, the conversation about privilege I only really recently recognized the importance of seeing that. And now I feel like my eyes have been opened a little bit more in terms of what is possible for me just by recognizing that part of who I am that I've been denying for so long. Yeah, that is so powerful. 
And then also on the other side of this, right, like we're talking about financial privilege, then there are other identities that you hold, like being a woman of color, for example, where I'm sure you have experienced negative things attached to both of those as well, right? So like we all, I just, I, this is like literally one of the reasons I started the podcast was to have these intentionally intersexual conversations to say it's not all or nothing. All of us have some identities that are more privileged in the world and some that are less. Mm -hmm. And I think it can be really, really helpful to hear just the diversity of the perspectives within that and like what people are going through. Because for example, to hear, oh, okay, growing up with financial privilege, it was still really hard for you to receive. It's easy for me to say, oh, well, of course it's hard for me to receive because I grew up poor, right? But it's like, no, it's actually, (laughs) we're just trained to be bad at receiving. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it could have something, we can always find something in the background that could have something to do with it. But like, I'm going through the exact same thing in the past couple of years. It's like, okay, I need to, I need to receive more. I need to let people give me or help me with things, especially when they're offering, right? If somebody offers and I say no, and then half an hour later, I'm like, fuck, I should have said yes. Like I actually needed help with that. And I pushed through and then, you know, injured myself or I don't know, didn't eat lunch or whatever. Like there's all these things that I've said no to and then realized, oh, whoops, like I absolutely should have accepted that in the moment. Um, And it absolutely has a ripple effect for being an entrepreneur as well, which we both are, because it was so, so hard for me to ask for money. You know, every time I've raised my prices, I've had this huge existential crisis around it. It's just like, you know, this, it's really hard to receive and then attached to that, I don't know if you go through this as well, but attached to that is also this uh, desire to over-deliver in a way that sometimes isn't even helpful for people. Like people don't want me to pile on like every free thing I've ever created. They're like, no, I, I actually just need this one thing and this is what I'm here for. And like, I don't want, you know, a ton of extra stuff that I have to learn or process or go through. So anyway, that's, that's another potential, uh, tangent to go on, but yeah, I would, I would also love to hear you talk more about, um, your relationship with your business now that it is your full-time thing now that you're no longer working full-time. Cause that's always a really fun transition. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so interesting that like within weeks of quitting my job, um, and also, like, I was just coming out of maternity leave. And so it wasn't – and under the na- nature of a business is that it's not, like, every day it's, like, you know that you're making money, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, in terms of, like, the, your eyeballs looking at your account um, versus, like, the belief that you're making money every day. And so, uh, like, if, 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 if you are looking at just the pure numbers, it was, like, it, the, 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 it wouldn't have made sense, like – you literally had just had children and you don't have a predictive uh, stream of income. Like, what are you doing? And I think sometimes, I think, you know, Simone loves to say the universe forces integrity on you or something like that. And I felt like it was sort of like that moment where, oh, like even when like technically it's like, quote unquote, not a like not fertile grounds or not the best case scenario. Like I'm capable of feeling certain about my decision. And so I was like, oh, like that is all that I ever needed 
in order to grow my business. And all of a sudden, like, even though the money was not like, I don't know, flooding from my business, like all of a sudden, all these like, all this money just kind of came out of like nowhere, like out of the woodworks. (laughs) It's like, you know, weird manifestation stuff here. But it was like, it was like enough money to kind of sustain me for like the next several months. And it literally was out of nowhere. And so I think there is that part of like the, like the magic in the universe where when you fully commit to your congruence, the universe will give you what you need in order to pursue that congruence. And so in terms of like the financial part of it, that's kind of what happened. And in terms of like my energy and like my time, I thought that I would like have more time to relax. And it is true. Like I do have more time to relax. Like I don't, like I'm not waking up each morning and be like, oh my God, holy shit. Like what work call did I miss? Oh my gosh. Like what email did I, do I have to respond to right now? <laughs> and just kind of like, like glaring at my work phone from across the room and being like, please don't call me. Please don't, you know, kind of like that energy. And now it's like, I have actually more things to do. And, and, and it's like, it's like more, like I have more fun doing it because I'm not glaring at phones. I'm not waking up in cold sweats. And so I'm not saying this to say like, oh, you should, you should like quit your job like immediately because I think I quit my job at the perfect time, even though it didn't feel aligned for a while, because I think that soul, like your spirit and your soul will guide you to that certainty at the right time. And so I think that's kind of what happened for me. Yeah. And so I just like, in terms of like, what do I do? I, I really, the only thing that I really do is have fun. And that's not to say that oh, I, I don't do tough things. It's like fun as in like, I expand my capacity to feel whatever emotions, because that allows me to experiment and experience so many different experiences. <laughs> yeah. I was really curious to hear more about the energy as well. So you're just saying you are doing some tough things or, you know, like there, but also that even though you're doing more things because you want to be doing it and it's fun. Do you feel like you actually have more energy? You know, what's interesting is that when I, like the first couple of weeks after quitting, I was really, really, really exhausted. And I, I asked myself, like, what's, what's going on there? And I think that all of the tiredness that I've been putting on hold to feel kind of came rushing into my body all at once. Yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my nervous system finally has the capacity to feel it. My circulatory system finally has the capacity to process it. And so it was the kind of tired that you would feel like after like a day at Disneyland or something where you just like, you're just, your heart is full uh, while you're tired and just looking forward to get some rest because you know that the next day, like the tiredness is kind of evidence that you have lived that Disneyland life (laughs) And not evidence of like another day of burnout. And so I was able to tell the difference just by kind of noticing, oh, this is Disneyland energy, not burnout energy. 
I've never heard that uh, as an example before, and I like it. <laughs> I hope that's useful to people. Yeah. And then, so you said a couple weeks of that. And then what happened with your energy? I start re- like noticing things that I never <laughs> noticed before, which is like, for example, I have this uh, nice little balcony over here. And obviously there are windows. And I just, I just noticed like a couple weeks after that I can open those windows. <laughs> <laughs> and so I opened the fucking windows and it felt great. Like I can f- feel the wind. I can feel the sun. And it was like, oh, I feel connected. I feel more connected. I thought I would feel like more disconnected because I'm like not doing the traditional thing, but I felt more connected to the things that I always wanted to be connected with. And that's kind of what happened. I just started noticing more areas where I could feel more. I love that. And what that makes me think of is another conversation I was just having the other day about how women especially are just expected to do so much again, like with the smile on or, you know, like with the sort of like also while doing the emotional caretaking of the people around them. Mm. And that a lot of the, in theory, things that make us feel better, like being in nature and movement and community and, you know, all these things that feel good, we're supposed to do those like they're another job just so that we can stay happy enough to, I don't know, do all the emotional labor, right? Mm. And realizing that as soon as you made that space and you just had the space to notice what felt good, then you were able to do things that felt good. And I am exactly the same way. Like when I have the space, I'm like, oh, of course I'm going to, and I actually stuck my face out the window into the sun this morning when I woke up. (laughs) And, you know, just like, oh yeah, because I, you know, I didn't have a call till 11 a.m. I had like this nice space in the morning, got to, you know, hang out and just, I've, I used to make myself work in the morning when I left my day job, probably permanently for, you know, full-time self-employment. Uh, I used to make myself get up and work early in the morning. Cause I was like, this is what people do. Mm. People work early in the morning. I need to like be productive. <laughs> and then I realized almost no matter how much I sleep, I like having a slow morning. Like I just feel better when I don't use an alarm clock and when I'm just kind of like chilling in the morning, I'd rather work fewer hours and feel better. <laughs> yeah. And when I give myself that space, I notice things like you're describing this, just like, Oh, that doing this thing makes me feel more connected. This actually feels good, but it's not like forcing myself to do things that make me feel good just so I can e- extract more productivity from my system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. I was the same exact way when I was first starting my business. I was following all of the YouTube videos, watching all the YouTube videos at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, go, go, go. (laughs) Like hustle and like get your caffeine in, make sure you work out. I was like doing all of those things and I was like exhausted and I was like, oh, something must be wrong with me. It was terrible. Yeah. And I mean, I think everybody feels like there's something wrong with them because our bodies were not designed for or, or like did not evolve for the world we live in saw a great video the other day that was like actually it makes sense that we're all depressed and everybody who's not depressed is probably just like not noticing yeah <laughs> how incongruent the world is right now um but yeah i really 
I really love this whole journey that you've been taking. It's been so inspiring to watch. And I know that seeing it from the outside, obviously I'm getting a very, I'm seeing the, the highlight reel, or at least like the, um, the, the moments that you don't enjoy that you're willing to share publicly. Mm -hmm. Right. So obviously on the inside, you know, I know there's always like another layer of like shit we're all going through. (laughs) I mean, I think you're pretty open. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's always, always, I love that you talked about that because sometimes like the reason I feel like an imposter is that, oh yeah, like I'm very much obsessed with telling the truth, but there's like 30 truths that I want to share right now. So I'm like, if I share one out of the 30, does that mean I'm a fraud? (laughs) And so it's like, like there's that going on. And there's also part of me that's like, Oh, like I definitely want to hide that part of me, which means that I should share. But I like right now, like I just I don't want to. And so it's like it's always sort of like um listening to the the two kind of pulling um forces where the the one part is like, okay, honor yourself and honor your pace. But the other part, the other is like, oh, you need to be transparent, you need to do all of these things. And so yeah, I think that's kind of like where the the layer of shit comes from where you're kind of like discovering more and more about yourself about like your capacity where you feel comfortable being and um at the end of the day whatever happens being okay with all of that shit (laughs) yeah okay so when you are thinking about transparency yourself like when you're deciding what to share um how do you kind of view the I don't know, layers of like circles in which you might be sharing. So like, for example, you know, it's very different to be fully transparent and truthful with yourself and the people right close to you versus like sharing on social media publicly. Right. So like, how do you kind of think through those layers of transparency? There are a couple things that I don't share um, that I can think of right now. Well, three. (laughs) Okay. So the first thing is, is when I am like right in the thick of something, So like, for example, like I'm going to a conference tomorrow and I'm nervous about it. And like, yeah, like actually, like I don't really necessarily have a problem sharing that, but like it's, there's always usually something that wants to be shared more because like me saying that I'm nervous um, at the moment, like at this moment, particularly doesn't feel very helpful for me to share. So it's like, okay, what is the, what is the thing if I do want to share, what is a thing that I want to share that's going to serve me? And it's, it's um, kind of the similar way that I approach my podcast too. I'm like, okay, what, 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 how do I want to connect with people right now? I mean, of course, like there's a million things I can connect on, but what, 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 what is that right now? And so it's, it's that question, asking that question. So I don't necessarily feel like I'm necessarily hiding, but it's like, what is, what is the priority? Of sharing that I have right now what is a, the the truth that has the highest priority that wants to be shared and the other thing that I don't share is kind of like the most precious moments like reading a book with my children sometimes I share that sometimes I do but it's not like something that is constant for me because I realize that like that involves other people 
And I ask myself, like, is this a moment that I want to share just with that other person right now? Or is this something that I want to share with the world as well? I mean, of course, I want to share this precious moment with the world too. But is that going to jeopardize this moment with the person that I'm with? And so there are certain, you know, precious moments, things like silly little things that Rhea says that I really want to share. But for now, I want to be present with it. I think third is like kind of relatedly, like when my husband like says something really fucking hilarious, <laughs> I really want to share it. And I ask him and he's, he's just not a fan of sharing. And if I don't have his consent, I'm just not going to share it. And so, um, yeah, I think those are kind of the three categories that I don't share. And now that I think about it, I actually feel pretty good about not sharing them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And to go back to like something you said earlier about doing things for the right reasons, those sound like great reasons, mm-hmm. right? That's about like consent and being present in the moment. And then the the first one about kind of your, like when you're right in it and you're processing it, I have the same thing. It's like, I will, um, the way that I think about it is if I can't translate what's in my head into something, it means I haven't processed it enough. So, I mean, not that I would literally make everything into a poem, but like if I couldn't like kind of sit down and work with this feeling or whatever and kind of write something about it, if it's really just venting or ranting or, you know, like, and I used to put those things out there on the internet in various forms, but I've kind of moved away from that. Not because I think it's wrong. I think, I mean, other people do it. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but what I've chosen to share more now is my more sort of processed feelings and, and thoughts and experiences Mm. because a lot of my, well, partly because a lot of my own processing internally is nonverbal. And so I know that when I'm having trouble expressing something, it's because it's still like in that very soupy, messy, fleshy fit. Like there's just nothing there for me to even (laughs) pull out other than like, oh, this feels bad. Right. Um, And that's also, I think like I have so much uh, compassion when I see people express, trying to express that. Cause I'm like, I get that. That we're just like, I want somebody to see and validate that I feel like shit. And you're like, yeah, that's a big part of the human experience. It's just feeling like shit for extended periods of time and feeling like it's never going to end because that's how it feels when we're in it. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes like we do process the fact that we are feeling like shit. And and, and if that is a a sentence that you have processed that you want to share, by all means we can share. And if you don't want to share that, that's also fine too. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, in the context of loneliness, because I realized that I have not experienced a lot of uh, actual aloneness in my life because mm. I grew up with a bunch of younger siblings. And then I went to college. I've never lived alone, for example. Um, I've always had roommates. And then I got my cat when I was 19. And we, like, he was very, very snuggly. So he, he, I just, like, I didn't think of him as a, I didn't realize how much of my needs he was providing. Mm. So that was like 
recognizing in the last month, just like, oh shit, I was getting, I don't know, 20, 30% of my socio like touch needs just for my cat. Mm. And then having my partner be in the hospital simultaneously as that was happening, I was just like, oh my God, like I am used to somebody checking in on me about once an hour. Mm. I'm like a baby. (laughs) I'm used to somebody like coming in like, I don't know, again, it's like either my cat or my partner. If I were, if I was just sitting in my office working at least within a span of two hours, one of them would like poke in. Mm. And I was just like, oh, I'm just like sitting here and like nobody cares and like nobody's checking on me. And it was this very um, interesting experience because I think one of the big societal narratives around loneliness is, oh, well, you if you just like work on yourself enough, you won't experience that. And I'm like, nope, I am a social touch starved creature and I just need somebody to pet me. And like, I don't feel bad about that. <laughs> oh my God. I love yeah. I love it so much. Yeah. And I think having um, kids around provides some of that too, right? Even though it's like maybe too much, right? Like you can't go to the bathroom alone, but like mm-hmm. they're bothering you all of the time. Yeah. And if that were to just suddenly disappear, you'd be like, wait, why is nobody bothering me? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, I feel that, I feel that uh, like when I'm traveling sometimes like overnight or something and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I miss them. Um, but right now, like when they're at daycare, I'm like, oh, oh God, thank God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think everybody sort of might experience loneliness a little bit differently. I think my relationship with loneliness has evolved with time. And um, yeah, at first that like loneliness, oh my gosh, like what a what a thing to be ashamed of. <laughs> I'm just like laughing because it's just right now it just feels hilarious that I thought loneliness was such a terrible thing. And like the way you talk about loneliness and how that informed your humanity is just so rich and so beautiful. And like for me, it's um with I think I felt loneliness like with my husband when I like I required his uh, energy and I required his presence with me because I refused to feel my own loneliness. And the thing that I was afraid in being alone was being with my whole self, almost like afraid of like, oh, what, what do I have to offer? Like, it's almost like being uncomfortable sitting next to myself almost. And so I needed my husband to sort of distract me from being with myself. Mm. And yeah, so I was like afraid of that for a while. And then even after I realized that that was what I was doing, it still like felt, it still felt like impossible to execute on. Like it still felt impossible to just be with myself. And I think it kind of happened gradually over time where I sort of just practiced being on my own and asking myself like, how do I excavate the, the richness and the truth of, of just my own being without needing other people to sort of validate my existence and validate just like the acceptable parts of me. And it was Ooh, that's good. Yeah. And so like when I was ex- exploring that journey and kind of on a trek on that mission, um, I feel like I was able to sort of gently arrive at a place where, oh, I'm okay with being alone. I'm okay with 
being away or whatever it was. I love that. Validate the acceptable parts of me. That's so good. Because that's what we want, right? Like we we say we want people to see and validate our whole selves, but we don't mean that. Like <laughs> We're like, please do not, simply do not observe the parts of me that I do not like. <laughs> Pretend that they don't exist. Never mention them. Do not peek behind the curtain. But excessively validate the parts of me that I like. That would be great. Thank you. And that's why we hire therapists. No, just kidding. <laughs> oh my God. So good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It has been interesting uh, for me because I love, I love silent time with, but with somebody else around. So that's what I, and again, having a cat. Great. Never talk to me as far as I know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I was, I just hadn't even, I was like, I love being alone. I'm so introverted. I love spending time alone. And I was like, yeah. And also like most of that alone time was with my cat. So it wasn't, I mean, again, not a human being, but like not as alone as I could have been. It's very noticeable that I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm literally just used to having him kind of sitting here, hanging out with me. Mm-hmm. That type of social closeness feels different to me than the sort of like validating side of things, which I also have, you know, want and I remember having moments where I was like, no, that's what I want. It's like, I don't just want a person. I want like a specific type of attention and validation and I need it. Mm. Um, and knowing that like all of those are kind of shamed in various ways. I think having needs and expressing needs at all mm. is shamed, especially for certain types of people that we're just like expected to figure it out and be okay. And, you know, glean inner resources for this stuff and we might even be good at that or be able to do that. And that kind of goes back to that receiving thing too. It's right. Like if we feel like we don't have a lot of needs and aren't asking for stuff, like it doesn't mean that the basic physiological needs go away. Mm. We're just meeting them with inner resources, which will eventually wear out Mm. or, or at least like we'll feel tired. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exhausted. Exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that's one of the ways that burnout shows up is like people have just been meeting their own needs for way too long. Yes. Yes. And you can meet your own need while wanting and needing other people to give you things too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. So yeah, I've been, I've been thinking about that a lot. Just the like social needs and just the literal physical need of touch and how I'm used to hearing people talk about the brain chemicals, the associate, and, you know, we talk about dopamine and serotonin the most, I think as a society, but you know, oxytocin, for example, is one of the ones that we get from touch, social closeness, uh, what like prolonged eye contact, hand holding, but even just like physical proximity with people that you trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also get it from singing together and dancing together. Fun, fun facts. Oh um, yes. Yeah. And I think about this a lot because I, I feel like when my basic physical needs are met at just like a basic level, Mm. I'm pretty happy. And it's a pretty direct one-to-one. Like if I've slept well, eaten well, you know, gotten a cuddle, like (laughs) these basic things. And it's because of the actual brain chemicals. It's like, as long as everything is more or less functional in my system than when my basic needs are met, like I feel okay. Mm. 
and then to have something where it's like, oh, this thing was meeting my need and now that thing has been taken away. Mm. You're like, oh, okay, I guess I have to get that from somewhere else. Yeah. And or just sit here and feel miserable. (laughs) (laughs) I love that like you are able to identify exactly what it is that you need because especially in my world um, where we are so much defined by our careers and our titles and our salaries and stuff like that. Like we forgot, we, we often forget um, what we need and what it is that we desire. And so like even me, I was like, I, I don't know if snuggling or cuddling is going to make anything better <laughs> because I don't know what that looks like. I don't even know what better looks like. And so I think that it is, like I said, the mission of a human being is to expand our capacity to, 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 to experience all the things so that we get so much clarity on what we need and what we desire. Like what, what else do we need other than knowing what we need? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, what you just said about like not knowing what better looks like, that I think that I, I there there was a very long period of time. Well, so let's say the first twenty eight years of my life or so, <laughs> where that's pretty much how I felt. It was like I know there's something, something's off, something's not working, but I don't even have any concept of how I would approach fixing it, and. That is something that I feel like I talked about a lot in the first, I don't know, 10 or 15 episodes of this podcast when I was really talking a lot about like trauma and bodies and techniques and all this stuff, because a lot of the techniques that are out there and sort of whole modalities work better for somebody with a relatively healed nervous system, somebody who does not have active trauma causing frequent triggers. And I have noticed so many things that now make a difference that didn't when I was 25. And when I was just like in a constant near panic attack, like all of the time, (laughs) when my anxiety was just like totally unmanaged because yeah, like a cuddle is not going to fix that, like a systemic, a system wide issue. It might make you feel a bit better, but I think that's like that feeling of, you know, I need to find the things that will make me feel better. It just feel, it felt for me for a long time, like a just constant, like, okay, great. That thing made me feel better for half an hour. And now that, you know, that person left or whatever, or I don't know, I finished the thing I was eating or like whatever it was that was like making me feel good. As soon as it ended, it was like, I have to get the next thing mm-hmm. that's going to like fill that slot because otherwise, like my baseline just was so bad or felt so bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And another thing that I notice is that 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 I like to talk about with my people and my clients is when we expand our capacity to feel the uncomfortable feelings, we also expand our capacity to feel the comfortable feelings too. Because when we are so resistant to like I don't know, guilt or anger for example, then we will also feel equally as resistant to joy or delight. And we don't trust it when it happens. We're like, why do I feel so good? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so 
it's like it's like we almost have this resistance to feelings entirely in general and so uh you know as david bedrick was saying at some point like we can only love ourselves specifically we can't love ourselves generally and so when we look at each of those specific emotions and expand our uh, capacity to feel them like specifically that's when i think that we become i don't know i don't want to say free because we already are free but feel like feel more full like we we see the the fullness of what life has to offer and the aliveness yeah totally and that being able to hold that capacity i've actually been playing with that with specifically love and and this is very i i will be so before your episode comes out i have an episode coming out on grief magic so very likely your episode will be the one right after that people may have listened to that but one of the things i was talking about in that is that i've been playing with this expanding my heart and trying to hold all of the love that I had in that entire relationship at once. Mm. And my body doesn't feel capable of doing that. And that's fine. Like it's, you know, it's, it's probably some, I don't know, enlightened spiritual person could do that and, and feel all of that. And I know that like heart expanding or sort of like love holding exercises are a, a traditional meditation practice. So there are all these things people do, mm. but I was noticing like, wow, this actually feels just as uncomfortable as allowing a quote bad feeling that I don't like. Mm. It is exactly as uncomfortable to try to like allow this huge amount of love. And so I think, you know, again, we all say, oh, I want more love, more joy, more peace. And then when we have an opportunity to actually feel a large quantity of it, we're like, oh, I don't know, maybe a little bit, like I'll dip in and out, which is fine, by the way, like no, no shame in that whatsoever. Um, and actually one of my teachers, Linda Tai, talks about that a lot, like dipping the toe in to these feelings and just kind of like let it, you know, titrating in knowing that the body literally has to get used to it. Mm. But, you know, the way that we perceive and experience time, we're very used to titrated feelings. We're not used to feeling everything at once. Mm. And when we have an experience that kind of like dumps a huge emotion on us at once, we're like, yeah, no, this is not what I trained for. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And that's yeah. why it's so beautiful that it all, it kind of like drips. Sometimes it comes in waves, but, but like it's, I love the, the waves, the unpredictable waves, like sometimes little waves and big waves at the end of the day, we, we still can handle whatever it is that comes to us. Yeah. Which we know because we have Yeah. so far. <laughs> If you are listening to this and not dead, you have handled it so far. Yes. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I I am sure like I I'm now imagining like we could probably have an entire another hour of conversation just around that expanding the capacity to feel like that's such a huge topic. I love that topic. And I would like to wrap up. Yeah. So my last couple of questions for you are if you have any advice for yourself at a younger age, at any age, and that could be two weeks ago, like whenever, <laughs> and then where people can find you to follow you and take in more of your brilliance. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Advice. I hate advice though. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe like something you wish you'd known. Something I wish I'd known. 
Yeah, I, I don't think I would have done anything necessarily to change the experiences, but I wish I would have known that those each of those experiences were working in my favor. Um, and in terms of finding me, I live on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on Instagram. I just dump everything from LinkedIn to Instagram. So whatever, whatever your poison is, <laughs> I respect that. Yay. And we will put those links in the show notes. And I will also reference uh, David Bedrick, who uh, you mentioned a couple times. We both just took his shame clinic that he did with Simone Soul. So that was a five-week program we just did, which was fantastic, all about shame. And we didn't dive into that. But just because you mentioned him, just in case people want to look him up, he's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. And that I, you've said several things I wrote down, um, and like the, the expanding the capacity to experience that to me is the journey to safety. So it's like moving toward, like the more safe we feel, the more we can experience, right. I'm imagining like the, the small child who feels safe, who's like running away from their parent in the playground. Cause they know that no matter what happens, their parents, like, I don't know, going to hear them right. Or like find them or they can come back. And that like, when we have that sense of safety and like being able to experience feelings, I don't know. That's why I do all the internal work is just so that I can experience more. Mm. It's not so I can just be happy. Cause I know that like, you know, I can have like the best life set up and then have tragedy after tragedy happen in a row. So, you know, there's like, there's nothing we can do to prevent life from lifing. But if we've built this capacity to feel and like hold that feeling and be okay, then we get through it and it feels, I mean, I've had much more minor tragedies in my life feel a lot worse to me, like internally. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Other people can't determine the bigness or smallness of an experience. Exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. Yay. Thank you for having me. Yay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. I am very, you're, you're definitely another person that I'm like, I could totally bring you back and we just talk for another hour. I'm like, thank you. (laughs) Any of these topics. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I will talk to y'all next week. Thanks for listening. If you know someone who would be helped by this podcast, please share it with them. And I'd love to hear your thoughts and suggestions at Mattia at MattiaMarie.com. That's M-A-T-T-I-A at M-A-T-T-I-A-M-A-U-R-E-E dot com. Thank you.